We're in a series that has to do with hell. Everybody smile. The minute, the minute you say hell, people just go, <laughs> it's like, well, I'm not sending you there, so I mean, don't, don't let it bother you that bad. But whenever you say just the, just the mention of hell and people kind of, man, they, they drop their head a little bit. And, uh, but it hasn't been, we haven't been talking so much about the logistics of hell and how hot it is and stuff like that. Each week, the Lord has really uh, had me bring out some, some different aspects of it. And I feel like this week will be, be the same, that it's going to be uh, something I feel like the Lord wants you to, to have. And the first passage I want to give you is in Ezekiel chapter 13. The, the more I've been studying, and I've, I've mentioned this before, back in January, uh, the Lord said, I want you to teach on hell. And I thought, well, why in the world would you want me to do that? And one of the things the Lord just kind of showed me is because nobody really is. Used to, there was a lot of hellfire and brimstone type preaching, and then we kind of got away from that. And uh, uh, it doesn't get brought up a whole, a whole lot. If you Google it, there's just not a whole lot of people talking about it. But there's, a, there's a, a, a division. There's actually something going on, and I don't know if you've recognized it, but you will, I suspect, over the next four or five years in our country, you're going to see an increase, uh, a new division arise. And uh, it's going to be within our own. It's going to be within the church. Uh, there's, I mean, I know our, our country, and we could talk about this for a while, but we're not. You know, there's political division and racial division, economic division. There's all this type of division uh, in our country right now. But now there's a new division that's really not new. This stuff has been going on for thousands of years. But it's within our, within the church. And uh, it, it has to do with uh, whether or not everybody gets to go to heaven. Does everybody get to go? You know, because of what Jesus did on the cross, everybody gets to go. Now, in the 20s, there was a big thing, Darwinism. How many of y'all remember that? There was creationism and Darwinism, right? And in the 20s, that was a big deal. If you were either for Darwin or you were for God creating everything. And uh, that, that's kind of carried us. But now there's this new thing. And, and just the past, I guess, eight or ten days, I've had three different things arise uh, out of this conversation. One of them is uh, I was looking for a different book, but I, I found this feed that there's a brand new book that's about to come out from a very famous author. You know, he's a best-selling author. These are not just a knucklehead type people. And uh, his book is all about the Bible. And, and he's, this guy's a preacher, but he's basically saying, I've come to the conclusion that after all these years that the, the Bible, you can't take it literally. It can't be used in 2017. Again, this is a prominent pastor, prominent preacher that has a platform of literally, he's got millions of people following him, but he's come to this new conclusion and written a new book that basically says the Bible, you can't read it literally. It was written by men and men make mistakes. So you have to read it in light of that. So then a few days later, I was having a conversation with another girl in the church, uh, Brent's wife, and she says, have you heard of this book? There's another new book that just came out. And she said, one of the girls in my Bible study said she doesn't want to come to my Bible study anymore because she just read another book and this book is rocking her world. And she said, I was lied as a kid in church. After reading this book, I have come to realize that there is no hell. Everybody gets to go to heaven. And uh, that, that, that I was lied at to as a kid in the church. So I said, yes, I've, I've heard of that book. This is a different book, a different author, prominent author. So then I was talking and then my mother called me all mad. My mom's here today. And she was at Sam's. I mean, I like Sam's. 
How many of y'all like the free little snacks that they give? Sometimes that woman's not there. Don't it make you mad? You're like, give me my free vitamin or whatever. But she was at Sam's and my mom called me mad. And it wasn't at me, which I was glad. Uh, I was glad she wasn't called. She was mad at me. But she was called because one of her favorite authors, and this is another guy that's got millions. He sold not, not tens of thousands, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of books, has a tremendous following. He wrote a new book, and she says, have you heard of this book? And I was like, well, no, not really. And she says, there's a whole chapter in here that says, do you have to be saved to go to heaven? And he says, you do not have to be saved to go to heaven. Everybody, you don't have to be born again. Everybody's automatically saved. So this just, this has just all happened within the last eight or nine days, just one right after another. So there's a new division that's kind of coming, and it's not outside of the church. It's not Darwin versus creationism. It's really within the church. It's a new crop of prominent people that are coming out and saying things such as these, that they've taken the Word of God because they feel like they are Christians, but they've mixed some human imagination with the Word of God and with their human imagination, they've imagined or painted a picture. The problem is, is it's just not, it doesn't line up with the Scriptures. So the first part of my message this morning is really, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to warn you that you can't read every book that comes across your lap. or It'll jack you up. You'll be jacked up. I don't care if it's your best buddy that gave it to you or even if your mama gave it to you. If you want to know about heaven and hell, read the Bible. If you want to know about born again and what it takes to get, to, to get into heaven, you just need to read the source. Because human imagination can imagine a lot of stuff. And it's really convenient to imagine a better way, right? It's really convenient to imagine. I can imagine all types of stuff. But just because I imagine a dream up doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. And just because a prominent, successful author, even preacher, writes a book doesn't mean it's true. I mean, I know this is the warning from the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church. You better watch out. Not all Christian television is Christian television. Not all the books that you read are books that you necessarily need to be reading. You really need to watch and read the Word of God. So the Lord led me to this passage, which I want to show you because this is really dangerous. Whenever you're talking about where the dinosaurs are, there's not a lot of danger in that, right? you got some Christians that will fist fight over, over where the dinosaurs are. God destroyed the dinosaurs. <laughs> Just like We're not talking about dinosaurs, though. This is eternal security. Whenever you start messing with eternity this is not a joke this is really serious serious business so I want to read you one of the things that God says on this subject now I grew up in the wrestling era and I know there's still wrestling today but I grew up in the good stuff uh, with like Ted DiBiase how many of y'all remember him and Hacksaw Jim Duggan come on somebody and, and, and uh, who? Coco Beware, Coco Beware. I don't know him. That must have been a different branch. <laughs> that must have been those Mexican wrestlers. <laughs> the luchadors. Uh, Andre the Giant. You remember, I remember him and remember Hulk Hogan. And they would always interview them between the bouts. How many of y'all remember these interviews that they're going? They say, what do you think? What do you think, Hulk Hogan, about Andre the Giant? He says, I'll tell you what, brother. How many of y'all remember that? Tell you what, brother. And he'd rip his shirt or he would grab a door. And he would, oh, I remember being like 10, you know, and sitting on the floor. I would watch it on Sunday mornings. My mom would preach at the ghetto. 
they would, she would go to the housing project and she would drag me along. Uh, she'd have her boom box and she would set up her boom box, her and this other guy named Ray, in the middle of the projects and would hit play and they would sing songs and then preach in the projects. But before we went preaching in the projects, uh, I would watch wrestling. Wrestling. Mama, can I watch some wrestling? I watched the wrestling and, and Hulk Hogan said, I'll tell you what, brother. And he would grab a door and just like destroy the door. How many of y'all remember those things? Just rip it off the hinge and like kick it and just like tear it, tear it up. But once I got in my 30s, I realized not everything in wrestling is for real. <laughs> not everything that you see in wrestling is real. That's really not a real door. It looks like a door. It's been painted like a door and it looks like there's some structural integrity to it. But if Hulk, if Hulk tried that on one of our doors, he'd break his hand, right? He'd break his foot. He would, he would need to have some, some surgery done, right? Because that's really not a real door. And here, I'm about to read you a passage where God is getting on to some people. And He's getting on to leaders. He's getting on to preachers. He calls them prophets. He says He actually He's getting on to some ladies, men. He kind of covers the board about people that are using charm and they're using uh, imagery and they're using, the, the, they twist things and they articulate things in such a way. And, and, and He says here, I'm about to read it to you, He says they've built a whitewashed wall. And he says, it's a flimsy wall. And, and he says, they've painted it whitewashed. In other words, they've covered it in concrete so that it looks like a concrete wall, but it's, it doesn't hold anything up. It has no uh, structural integrity to it. It looks like something is there and that there's strength to it, but whenever you try to put your weight on it, or whenever you try to depend upon it, he tells you, you're about to see right here, he says, he says it will fail. In fact, he says, I'll make sure that it fails and I'm going to take it down to its bare foundation. You're going to see that this thing that you've put your confidence in is nothing but a farce. It's false. It's not what it seems like it is. And he is mad. He is mad. Why is he mad? Well, because again, whenever you start messing with his kids, I don't know about you, but I don't like people messing with my kids. I just don't like you, man. You mess with a lot of my stuff. You can break into... I don't want you to break into my house. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> man, <laughs> it's a bad choice of words. Uh, but you, you know what I'm saying. You can mess with a lot of stuff, but I don't want you leading my kids or influencing my kids. They're my kids. I'll influence them, right? They're mine. I'll take care of it. You stay out of it. And God's given us His, His Word, His name, His blood. He's given us the tools that we need and here he's telling this group of people, he says, you better watch out. In the New Testament, Jesus said it would be better that a millstone, which is a giant rock that was used for crushing grain, he said it would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and for you to be thrown into the depths of the sea than for you to lead my kids the wrong direction. What's Jesus saying there? Jesus saying it's better for you to be thrown to the depths of water than for you to be thrown in other depths because you don't want to be messing with leading my kids the wrong direction. So I want to give you this and then we'll go to the second part of the message that deals, but I really felt strong about just letting you know, hey, not everything you read, you need to read, you need to watch. You need to watch what you, this, this stuff that comes before you because the devil will use anybody 
to get you out of a Bible study or get you out of a church or get you completely off course. So this is, we're going to start in, in Ezekiel chapter 13. I'm going to re, re, read it somewhat fast. Uh, verse number 8 is where we're going to start. I think I told you 10, Christian, but I want to start in verse 8. He says, therefore, he's going to bring it back a couple just so that you could see. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Everybody say sovereign. I mean, I know there's only one of those. And this is the sovereign one talking. He says, because of your false words, he's speaking to leaders, and your lying visions, I am against you, declares the sovereign Lord. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will not belong to the council of my people or be listed in the records of Israel. Israel just means God's people. They won't be listed in, in His record. Nor will they enter the land, God's land, God's kingdom. He said they'll have no place there. And then you will know that I'm the sovereign Lord because they lead my people astray. They're saying peace when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it's going to fall. Rain will come in torrents, and I will send hailstones hurtling down and violent winds to burst forth. And when the wall collapses, will people not ask, Where is the whitewash you covered it with? I thought I could put my hope in this. I thought this was going to hold me up. He says, you're, you're going to find out that it's not the truth. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. In my wrath, I will unleash a violent wind. And in my anger, hailstones and torrents of rain will fall with destructive fury. I will tear down the wall that you've covered with whitewash and will level it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. And when it falls, you will be destroyed in it and you will know that I am the Lord. So I will pour out my wrath against the wall and against those who cover it with whitewash. I will say to you, the wall is gone, and so those who whitewashed it. Those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Sovereign Lord. Now, son of man, set your face against the daughters of the people who prophesy out of their own, what? Out of their own imagination. Their imagination. He says, it ain't coming from me. And you want to know what's me, all you got to do, I gave you 66 books. You can read it yourself. Out of their, he says, prophesy against them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to the women who sew magic charms on their wrists and make veils of various lengths for their heads in order to ensnare people. Will you ensnare the lives of my people but preserve your own? You've profaned me among my people for a few handfuls of barley and scraps of bread. By lying to my people who listen to lies, you've killed those who should not have died and have spared those who should not live. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I'm against your magic charms for which you ensnare people like birds, and I will tear them from your arms. I will set free the people that you ensnare like birds. I will tear off your veils and save my people from your hands, and I will no longer fall prey to your power. Then you will know that I have brought them no grief, and because you encourage the wicked not to turn from their evil ways. It's very common right now. It's like everybody gets in. Hitler's in. Everybody's in. And even in these books, they're quoted. They're saying, Hitler, all these people, no matter, you don't have to be saved. Everybody's automatically in. He says that you, you can't tell people. You're telling them that they don't have to turn from their evil ways and so save their lives. Therefore, you will no longer see false visions or practice divination. I will save people from your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. 
So that's the first part of my message is I just want to just caution you. You need to watch out. For, and this is, this is a big deal. This is a new thing. You'll see it a lot, I feel like, in the next four or five years. That whole, I believe, probably a whole denomination may come out of it. That'll just be a new group of Christians, cross Christ followers. But they just feel like that uh, they, they have their own imaginations. But thank God we have the Word of God. And he says, listen, I'll make sure that it'll all come out in the wash. I'll make sure that, that people know what they need to know. But I want you to know, this is one of the ways that he lets people know what they need to know is, is through, uh, th- through the Word of God. So I gave you one more verse in your worship guide in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 12. We're kind of starting off with this. It says, there, in a, there is a generation that's pure in its own eyes, yet it is not washed from its filthiness. So we don't want to be that generation, right? That's not where we want to do. So one of the reasons why we're having this, this whole series is because... How many of y'all went to elementary school? Yeah, feel free to raise your hand. You're going to want to raise your hand on this one. You're going to want... This is a good one. This is one of those you want to raise your hand on. No, not taking any pledges here. But how many of y'all... In elementary school is you've got kindergarten. You have first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade... And fifth grade, right? That's elementary school. At least that's how it was for me. And then I went to Lincoln Road Sixth Grade Center. Fine establishment. And then I moved on to junior high school, right? But before I could go to sixth grade, I needed to come out of elementary school. Now, uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this, but how many of y'all know it's possible for you to be held back in, in any grade? It's possible for you to be held back in elementary and how I many of y'all know there was always somebody in your class on the football field that was like three years older than you and was always beating you at all the games because he's supposed to be in eighth grade, but he talks like this. He's <laughs> like, like, you shouldn't even be allowed to play kickball. He kicks it over the fence every stinking time because he's got big 19-year-old quads. And he just kept getting held back, right? He's like held back kindergarten three or four times and if that's you I'm not not busting on you I'm just saying we've all been there I'm just, and I'm, the point I'm making is it's possible to be held back in elementary school and there are six I'm about to read you two uh, six elementary things that God says that you need uh, before you can move on with him and I think many times we keep getting held back and we're waiting on God but God's just wanting to, us to get out of the third grade and I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to prove it to you right here in Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 1 and 2. Now, in the New King James Version, it says, Let us stop going to elementary. But I gave it to you in the NIV, in your worship guide. And this is our instruction. It says, Let us stop going over the basic teaching. Again, New King James says elementary. Let us stop going over the basic teaching about Christ again. And again, in other words, there's some things I'm about to read to you. There's six things uh, that, that God says you need to, need to move on from these elementary things. Let us go instead and become mature. Everybody say mature. It says let us become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds. Now, if you've got a worship guide, I gave you a blank there. The first blank, just write repentance. That's kindergarten. God said, first thing, kindergarten, is 
you need to learn that there's a repentance from evil deeds. Repentance doesn't just mean forgiveness. Repentance means I was doing things I shouldn't do, but now I'm going to return, or I'm going to turn, I'm going to change, I'm going to repent, I'm going to go another direction. I'm not going to do that anymore. Everybody say kindergarten. All right, now let's go to first grade. He says, and placing our faith in God. Number two is faith in God. That's first grade. Faith in God just means, God, I don't understand it, but I trust you. God, I don't like it, but I trust you. God, I don't know how you're going to get me out of this, but I trust you. God, I don't know how you're going to reach them, but I trust you. God, I have faith in you. I have faith in you. You're going to lead me. You're going to guide me. You're going to provide for me. First grade, you need to have this established in your heart if you want to get out of elementary Christianity that... I, I know I'm not going to keep doing what I'm not supposed to be doing. I'm out of kindergarten. I'm out of first grade because I have faith in God. The third one, we're moving to second grade. He says, you don't need further instruction about what? Baptism. Really interesting. Baptism. You need to be water baptized, right? And there is a baptism with water. There is, Jesus said, there's a baptism with fire. He says, you don't need to just keep going over and over about baptisms. You need to move on. Get baptized and move on. How many of y'all believe God wants us to move on? Come on, our church is all about helping you move on. Now, I know there's a lot of churches that'll just pat you on the head and do all that, but I want you to move on. What a tragedy for you to be stuck in third grade for 30 stinking years. That's horrible. Come on, we got to move on. That's what he's saying. And, and then from, from baptism, after you write baptism down, he says, he says, the laying on of hands. Now, you just saw us just pray for someone Pray for our graduates. Everybody look at your hands. Everybody say elementary. God considers this elementary. Elementary just meaning you need to understand that you're God's hands in the earth. You're God's mouth in the earth. You're God's feet in the earth. Whenever you walk on to Sitco or whenever you walk on to the police force or whatever, you're walking on as an ambassador of God. Whenever you speak to people, you're not just speaking on, on, uh, out of your own authority. God will use you to speak to people. You can take these hands and you can pray for people. You can encourage people. You can help people. You can give to people. You can strengthen people. Come on, your hands are God's hands in the earth. Right? How many of y'all following me? Everybody say, move on. God wants us to move on. What's the next one? He says, that, he says you know, we don't need to keep going back to these fundamental things. The next one is, is, he says, the resurrection of the dead. Now, I know I gave you a little bitty blank. So I apologize. Resurrection of the dead. What does that mean? I, to me, that, that means not just to me, but it's a fact. Nothing's too dead for God. Amen. Come on, I mean, I believe that. Nothing's too dead for, for God. No, no, no situations too dead for God. God can raise, He's able, able to save to the uttermost, is what the Bible says. God, God's, everything is, has the, the, the possibility of coming alive with Him. But then the other side is, is that there is a resurrection of the dead, which just means the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. And there's going to come a day when you're going to get a new body. How many are ready for it? Amen. How many are ready for it now? How many I wish he was, you could line up and get it now? I want my abs back. <laughs> I want my abs back, and I want my hair back. Uh, the day's coming. We get a new body, right? There is a resurrection of the dead. That's elementary. But then what I want you to see is what the last one is. What's the last one? 
Come on, say it loud. Eternal judgment is elementary education to God. And if you don't have this understanding or if you let somebody come in and mess this up, you're going, they'll keep you in, in elementary. You'll be held back forever. That this is something that you need to establish. I don't care who writes what. That, that he says you need, to get the, you need to get out of fifth grade. And you can't get out without having this understanding that, that there is a life after this. And don't everybody get to share in the same fate. That there is eternal. He doesn't say paradise. Wouldn't it be nice if he had said eternal paradise? He doesn't say eternal paradise. He says eternal what? Eternal judgment. Elementary education. So I'm going to read you half a chapter of a Bible. How many of y'all think you can stick for half a chapter? Because today I'm just giving you some of the elementary education of fifth grade. And all of this has to do with the Bible, uh, uh, has to do with eternity, uh, and specifically judgment. And if you want to run around the church while I'm reading this, feel free. I don't get a ton of hallelujahs from this subject, but I believe we got something to be glad about. And uh, it's Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And I'm going to have to read it somewhat kind of quick. Because this is Jesus. If you could have been around Jesus, Jesus would go up on the side of a mountain and He would teach people. He would teach them. He would get in a boat. He would push off from the bank and He would teach people. He spent three years teaching people. We think of Him just going around and raising the dead and all that type of stuff. And that's true. But the majority of Jesus' time, He was trying to teach them. And a lot of that time, he was trying to teach them about life after death. He was trying to teach them. He taught more on hell than, than anybody else. He was trying to teach them on eternity. So he had just finished one chapter, chapter 24, which he talks a lot about this. He moves into chapter 25, and we're going to read about half of this chapter because there's two things I want you to see uh, concerning uh, eternity. So we're going to start in verse number 1. Of Matthew chapter 25. How many of y'all with me? All right. Matthew chapter 25, verse number 1, it says, And at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. But at midnight, the cry rang out, Here comes the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And later others came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or 
the hour. Now, immediately he goes into the next verse, but I'm going to pause there. Uh, uh, immediately he goes in and he says, again, he starts and he goes back with the same thought. He just keeps hammering this thing home. Why is he hammering this thing home? It must be incredibly important. This must be something that's really significant. And if, you, if you're new to church or if you haven't been to church in a long time or you, you, maybe you came to church, you haven't been to church, uh, you didn't grow up in church or something, I don't want you to miss it here. I, want you to be, I went to church and the preacher was talking about ten virgins and some lamps. And there was a banquet and there was a feast. And I don't really know what that preacher was talking about. Listen, I'm going to clarify it with you. The moral of the story is be ready. Live ready. Because in the story, there is a, a bride and there is a groom. The groom is Jesus and the bride is the church. We are the bride. And Jesus is basically saying there's going to be some people that are going to be ready when I come back and there's going to be other people that are not ready whenever I come back. Some people are going to be carrying some oil. Oil always means the Holy Spirit in Scripture. So there's going to be some people that, that have a deposit of the Holy Spirit. Their candle is lit. Their, their wick is trimmed. But there's going to be foolish people that are going to say, Oh, he's taking a long time. He, we don't know when he's coming back. And they're going to be foolish and live however they want to live. But the door will close on them. This is a warning, right? This is a warning from our king, Jesus, that's basically warning us, Listen, you need to live in such a way. But the last part it is, is he says, No man knows the hour. Or in other words... Again, how I many of y'all know things can change so fast? Every day or every other day, I get texts or I get calls. Such and such, have a funeral today. 40-year-old died. Such and such, 50-year-old, 57 last week. He was 57, had a heart attack, dropped dead. How I many of y'all know things happen really quick? Talked to another lady in the church last week. Got to go to a funeral. Guy and his wife on a motorcycle, and they hit a gravel truck. He dies, instantly gets run over by the gravel truck, and she's paralyzed just like that, riding around on a motorcycle on a nice afternoon, and suddenly think the door shut. And when the door shut, he says, here, you can't get nobody else's oil. Wouldn't that be nice? Give me some of your oil. I need some of your oil. I mean, I know you can't get in with your mama's oil. You can't get in with your preacher's oil. You can't get in with nobody else's oil. He says, no, no, no. You have to have your own oil. So what's Jesus telling us here? He's just saying, live ready. And he's talking about, too, we don't know whenever he says, you don't know the hour that I'm going to come back. Jesus said he's coming back. And whether you believe that or not, if you read your Bible, it's a fact. He says, he says I went away and I'm coming again to receive you to myself. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm leaving, I'm coming again to receive you to myself. He's coming back. But he says, no man knows the time or the hour. So, so how you live, it counts. That's what Jesus is trying to say. How you live, it counts. So live ready. He's just telling us, just live ready. And now we're going to read the last part, and then I'll let you go. Everybody say, live ready. Live ready just means, I understand I have the presence of God. My wick is trimmed. My light is on, and I'm ready. All right, so now the next part. Verse number 14. And this, I'm going to read in New King James Version. 
All right, you got it up there. He says, again, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Same, same conversation here, same preaching, same message. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. He called all of his servants and he delivered goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. And then he had received the five talents. He who had received the five talents, he went and traded with them, and he made another five talents. And likewise, who had received two, gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought the five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And then, I'm sorry, I think... And then he who also received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in to the joy of the Lord." And then who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown, gathering where you had not scattered, and I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I had not sown, I gather where I had not scattered, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And watch this now. He says, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. Well, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, same chapter, same sermon, Jesus is teaching this group of individuals. The first group of individuals, he says, you need to live ready. You need to live ready because you don't know. You don't know whenever I'm coming back. The second, the second group of individuals, he comes back and he says, uh, what you do counts. You need to live busy. Everybody write busy in your little blank. Now, how many of y'all are busy? We're all busy. How many of y'all live busy? But how many of y'all know here, we're not necessarily talking about being busy during your stuff. It's more about being busy during his stuff, right? Because he gives the story here of, of a, a guy that goes away and he entrusts some assignments to people. And some of those people fulfilled their assignments some of those people did not fulfill their assignments. And to ones that fulfilled their assignments, there was a reward. How many of y'all like reward? 
And to those who did not fulfill their assignments, there was no reward. In fact, he said that they'll be removed and cast into outer darkness. So the second thing Jesus is trying to tell us is we need to be busy, not just doing what we like to do, but really finding out what does God want you to do. Here at the church, we're always encouraging and trying to help people find a place where they can serve, where they can help, right? We have 70-something people on our go team, and that's ushers and greeters and all that stuff. And many times that's just a starting point. It's just a place for you to get your hand on the plow and for you to figure out what does God have me to do because he's going to settle accounts. And that, that's, let me say this, that's not just a church thing, but, but we, have, we have roles to play that, that many times we do things that seem insignificant, but they're really, really, really significant. The Bible says little foxes destroy the vine. That there's little things that come in and can mess things up. And they can, they can have an eternal effect. But, but if we get small things, that, if we get little things right, it can make a profound impact. I made a slides, Christian, uh, uh, you may have to help Kate, because I'm going to go through each one of them. And uh, the, the slides have to do with, there's a guy named Max Jukes. And this is back in the late 1800s. There's a guy named Max Jukes. Uh, he was an atheist. He was an atheist, and he, uh, he married uh, an ungodly girl, and they had 540 descendants. Max Jukes, he's an atheist. He married an ungodly woman, and they, they, they found, or they researched, and there's 540 descendants from Max Jukes. Of those 540, they're, they're putting it up there for you, uh, of the 540, there was 310 who died as paupers. Now, pauper just means a beggar. Out of 540, 310 died of paupers. 150 were criminals. Seven were murderers. Over 100 were drunks. And more than half the women were prostitutes. That was the legacy of Max and his ungodly wife. Just a man and a wife, husband and wife, coming together, raising a family. Let me know that the family that they raised, it had a tremendous impact upon society and upon eternity. So back to what Jesus is trying to tell us. He says, everybody's been given talents. And it's not just whether you can sing or tap dance or play the flute or the harmonica. Uh, there's so much more to what God's entrusted to you. He's entrusted wealth. He's entrusted kids. He's entrusted relationship. He's entrusted things to you. And just one relationship can have a profound impact. Just the way you raise your kids can, can really make a profound impact. Now, another guy, Jonathan Edwards, was he lived the same time Max Jukes lived. Jonathan Edwards he married a godly girl. And after investigation was made, he had 1,394 known descendants of Jonathan Edwards. You can already see he had a lot more descendants. He had a lot more productivity, right? A lot more people. 
1,394 descendants of Jonathan Edwards. Of those 1,394, 13 became college presidents. 65 became college professors. Three were U.S. senators. 30 were judges, 100 were lawyers, 60 were physicians, and 75 were military leaders. There were 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 authors of prominence, 80 became public officials, one vice president of the United States, 295 college graduates, among those were governors and other foreign ministers. Now you start, you both started with the same amount of people, right? One man and one woman. And yet you can see, man, what a difference, it, what, what a difference that can be made with just saying, I'm a man of God. My wife is a woman of God. We raise our kids to be people of God, to be children of God. That, that's how we live our life. Who knows? The sky's the limit. Come on, I don't know about you, but that just gives me, that makes me think about my great, 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 great grandkids. They're bound to be the president. Right? They're bound to be. Who knows what is possible? Come on, all things are possible. And many times, many times, we, we, we wait. When is, when is it coming? When's it going to end? When's he coming back? And, and, and we get tired and we fall asleep. How many of y'all remember the first story Jesus said? They all fell asleep, right? We all, they all, all 10 of them. They all, 10 of them fell asleep, right? That we all get tired of sometimes waiting on this, this the, the end, you know, and, 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 and doing what we feel like that we're supposed to do, right? We, we, all, we all go through that. And yet, if we'll allow God, if we allow Him, allow His Word, you can kind of see the impact that, 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 that what you're doing. Listen, as a single mom, you can have a tremendous impact as just a husband and wife, as a single person, as a divorced person, wherever you're at, wherever you're at, you can still, starting from here, you can say, God, I recognize I need to live ready. God, and I need to live busy. God, I recognize that, that there is an eternal judgment, and I really want to make it out of fifth grade. And part of this series is just bringing back an awareness to all of us, to myself included, that there is an eternal judgment. There is, and that this is something that needs to be foundational. And if we live a certain way, then, then God can change. God can change everything. God can take you and your descendants, even if you've got knuckleheads. How many of you have knuckleheads in your family? How many of you look at your kids and you thought, Lord have mercy. What have I created? It's like a Tasmanian devil. What is this? And yet with God, man, he can, he can change everything. How do you... Hundreds of people come out of you that could change, change the world, change the world.